Welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Whether you're listening live on the Community Radio Network or via podcast, here's the show where you learn from experts, be inspired by journeys, and discover more about making your small business a success. I'm Alexi Boyd, broadcaster, advocate, and small business owner. Let's meet today's guest. Small Business Matters is proud to announce our ongoing collaboration with the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman through regular updates from Kate Carnell about all ASBIFIO is doing to advocate and support small business. Today, in the fourth of our series, Kate will be updating us on ASBIFIO's response to the crisis facing small business at the moment. We're going to update you on insolvency changes and access to funding, temporary restructuring relief and how to get started. Why should small business familiarise themselves with the all-important personal property securities register? Access to credit after JobKeeper and how will small businesses cope with its removal? And what about those businesses looking to hire additional staff? What you need to know about JobMaker hiring credit? Kate Cannell is an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times survive. Welcome back to the show, Kate. Pleasure to be back here in the new studios. Indeed, it's great to be back in. Uh, well, it's great to be back in in new studios. But we're getting there. We're slowly uh, piecing it together after our very swift removal from our old studio. But we're very proud um, to be uh, working with Hornsby Council and thankful for their um, ability to be in this beautiful old building. Look, it is a beautiful building. old building, uh, and you know, really appropriate right here in you know really important part of Sydney for small business, which is great. Yeah, we were just chatting about this, and I think that. Every small business culture and environment is is really unique depending on where you are. Um, and the thing I love about our area, and I'm sure there's a lot of other areas around Australia similarly, who you feel as though you are immersed in this culture of, you said it before, micro it's like yeah, multicultural cultural. small business. You've got restaurants, you've got retail, you've got um, a wonderful um, uh, all, all the health stuff. All that's the health around. stuff. We've yeah. got um, we've got a, a semi-rural community in Dural as well, yeah. um, and we've got manufacturing, and it, there's lots of lots of little things going on in, in Hornsby. And I feel that those who are really well connected in their own small business community can feel the potential for it to thrive. It's just about creating that foundation on which it can do. And, and government and, has a place and to And look, creating connections, which yes. is, of course, what you do and what the Chamber does as well, which is really fundamental to small business. Exactly. And I think that that's... You know, we could say that government needs to get out of the way and reduce uh, red tape, and that's how it helps small business. Or we can say that it should work in conjunction with, which I like the second one. Bit. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what fundamentally SBFO is all about. So, yeah. thanks for joining us again today. We've got lots to get through, lots of updates. Now, lots has happened since January the first. Particularly, rules around insolvency have changed. Let's remind everybody why that's important. They need to be aware of it. Well, as we know, in the past, insolvency law has been um, one size fits all, you know, for big business and little business, and often insolvency, or I mean, always insolvency is absolutely agony, but it's really been almost impossible for small, for, for small businesses to get through it without, you know, immensely losing any house, mm-hmm. which is exactly what we don't want to happen. So um, last year, during um, the, you know, the first throes of COVID, the federal government ch- um, had temporary legislation changes to allow people to trade insolvent fundamentally and to protect businesses from, uh, from creditors taking action. That finished on January the 1st and the new insolvency laws aimed particularly at small businesses 
came into being. Now, the reason that small businesses need to know about this, and what we're talking about is businesses with liabilities of less than a million dollars, which, let's be fair, is most small businesses. Yeah, the vast majority. Vast absolutely. majority. So that's who's covered by this. And it means that there is a capacity to register with ASIC if you are worried you are trading insolvent or may end up trading insolvent in the next three months. And think about end of JobKeeper. Exactly. Um, um, so if you're thinking, if you're, if you're looking at your, your figures and you're saying, eh, you know, we've got a, we've got a problem here, um, then there is a capacity to register um, with ASIC um, uh, that you are, um, I suppose, interested in being part of a restructuring process or this new legislation. Uh, this is, you know, pretty fundamental because what that registration will do is um, allow you to go through a process. Now, I'm going to just run through the process for you really quickly. So you register with ASIC. There is a range of things you need to do, but the ASIC site um, helps you understand what that is. And it's not that complex. It was to start with, but we told them no one would understand it, so they changed it a bit <laughs> to make it a little bit more uh, um, simple. Um, if you um, you are registering to become part of a restructuring process in the first instance, so what it will allow you, what it will give you is the, the capacity um, to trade without the concern about trading insolvent um, for up to six months. Okay, so it gives you a set period of time. Um, it does. Um, so, you know, this is good. It will also stop creditors of less than $20,000 taking um, statutory demand action against you during that, that period of time. And it also gives you six months to deal with statutory demands, other statutory demands. So somebody can't come and shut you down in 21 days, which is what they can under the, under the old legislation and put you into um, insolvency if you can't pay. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, you know, so when you've registered, you can, you should then go and talk to your accountant first off or your registered bookkeeper, find out if they are something called a small business restructuring professional, um, which is somebody who'll help you restructure. If they, they're not, ask them for a referral to someone who is. And then you can sit down with your restructuring um, uh, practitioner and put together um, a plan for the future of your business. Now that can be, and probably will be, about reducing possibly the payment to your creditors a bit, um, changing the timelines around those sorts of things, the usual restructuring package. Then put that to your creditors, if more than 50% of them agree, and you know, in many cases they will, because if you go into full scale insolvency, they're not gonna get anything. So. Exactly. So that's a bad outcome. Uh, your restructuring practitioner then um, takes over the, not the business, you stay in charge of the business the whole way through this, unlike the old system. Um, they help you um, put in place the restructuring package and you get on with running your business. If the creditors don't agree or the restructuring practitioner says, yeah, you know, it's just not gonna work, then there is a fast-tracked liquidation process that is much quicker, much cheaper, and hopefully gets you out the other end to fight another day, you know, to start another business at some stage quickly and um, much less expensively than the, than the previous scenario. So no one wants to think this is gonna happen, but, you know, if you're looking at your business and you think, you know, I'm really, 
I'm really not solvent and I really can't see a light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. You're much better off going down this path than you would be going into the old system. And the process, has that always been the case or is it through, um, I guess, discussions and try and support trying to help small business through this that we've got our own package that's a unique yeah. from other businesses. Um, we did a, an inquiry last year into insolvency practices. We recommended this this um, process. We did recommend that the government give small businesses a $5,000 um, voucher up front to do a viability assessment. Now, they didn't do that bit, but the rest they, they've put in place. Um, look, Again, nobody even often wants to talk about insolvency, but yeah. you need to. And that's the really important thing here is that if you understand the timing of uh, when things are happening, if you're across your books and you've got everything up to date, then you can be aware of these. And if you're not insolvent and you're tracking just fine, there's nothing wrong with going to the SPFO website and learning what the process is because I can imagine the stress of becoming insolvent and seeing, like you said, no light at the end of the tunnel, plus doing your research. Do your research while you've got the time um, that's it's, not happening. It's also true that, remember, it's illegal to trade insolvent. So... If you are trading insolvent or think you will, shall we say, at the end of uh, JobKeeper, then you need to do something. Yes. Um, but because it is illegal to you trade insolvent. You need to insolvent. start getting registered and, and doing and, the process. And explain. any creditor more than $2,000 can, can, can bring in a statutory demand on your business if you don't register in this, in this process, you know, if you believe that uh, it's going to take you a bit longer to get you know, the business back on track. So check your books, make sure you're up to date with what's going on and check with your friendly bookkeeper or accountant as to what they believe the future looks like and be aware of this cliff that we're all going to fall yeah. over, which is JobKeeper. This is absolutely true. So it's important to plan for it. Mm. Let's talk about JobKeeper some more because that is a major change that's going to be happening at the end of the March. Now, we know that a lot of businesses are... The Treasurer keeps telling us that a lot of businesses are back on their feet, that the... That the, the <sighs> The numbers are positive. Uh, the fact that less businesses are taking up JobKeeper means that the economy is back on track. But for certain sector the, sectors of the economy, that is absolutely not the case. Look, it really isn't the case. Our figures show it's about, interestingly, 30% of businesses that are trading better than they were before COVID. And we know, you know, home improvements, you know, homes, you know there's a chunk of businesses that are doing well. Then there's 30% at the other end that, you know, are in a world of pain still. And, you know, to some extent, when we all talk up the economy, which is really important for confidence, those businesses feel worse. You know, they feel like they're being really left behind. So we've got 30% up one end, 30% down the, down, um, down the other end, about 40%, you know, smack dab in the middle. Um, so, um, you know, the reality here is that we've got a chunk of businesses that will really struggle post-JobKeeper, there's no doubt. And importantly, those businesses that will continue to struggle and at the bottom 30%, they seem to be the ones who are hiring the most people. So economically, we should be more concerned from a job-keeping perspective and for our younger generation who are the ones who are largely employed by these sectors... Uh, in your belief, moving forward after JobKeeper, is it important that we continue propping up this, these sectors of the economy? Okay, look, it's important to have tailored support packages for the areas of the economy, and these could be, you know, um, industry sectors. It also could be um, locations. Cairns in North Queensland is just a great example, and I have to say there's a chunk of places in Victoria because the government keeps closing down 
you know, for whatever reason, keeps closing down um, the um, businesses for periods of time. So Victoria's suffering significantly more from a small business perspective than New South New South Wales. And uh, I have to say, from a small business perspective, thank you, Gladys, you know, for keeping us open as much as is humanly yeah, possible. I don't think there's a lot of businesses out there that are not grateful. And I think we're lucky to have invested, by the sounds of it, correctly and appropriately in our healthcare system so that we have those structures in place to be able to deal with um, explosions when they happen. Well, you know, it's, it's meant businesses have been able to stay open and not being closed in the whole of Victoria for five days, you know. Mm. Mm. It's really, it is really tough in that part of the world. So there needs to be a tailored approach. We've suggested something called a revenue contingent loan. Now, it is a loan because we've also got to understand that the taxpayer can only wear so, so much in this space. But it's a loan like HEX. So you only start to pay it back um, when your revenue goes over a particular amount. So it might be, say, 80% of your pre-COVID level. So interest rates are at sort of government bond rates, so they're really low, and at the moment really low, um, and you only start paying it back when your revenue gets back to a particular um, level. We think it's a smart way to have a capacity for small businesses to borrow for cash flow purposes. And I think that's what we're talking about post um, JobKeeper. Um, for those businesses, you know, for hopefully most businesses who want to continue to operate, they're going to need some cash flow dollars. And not necessarily just for the business itself, but for their employees. That's it. That's yeah. the most... They, everyone knows who runs a small business, that's my number one thing I need to meet my requirements for. My employees, they have to get paid first, they have to get paid on time, mm. yep. I have to see the money come out of my bank account on the right day. That's very important. So this it's, is where a loan like this is so, time so, sensitive. And, and you can be confident of taking it out because you're not going to end up with, say, a closure um, or a significant downturn for whatever reason and having to pay it back. Mm. You know, you won't have to pay it back till your revenue gets up to a particular level. Like with HEX, like you don't start paying HEX back until your income is at a particular level. And what's the appetite for the government for this? They're looking at it. I think they, you know, they agonise a bit over this stuff. But as we've said to them, look, post JobKeeper, you know, a lot of businesses will absolutely struggle, you know, with, uh, with cash flow to pay their staff, as you rightly say, to pay their landlord you know, to pay their other, to pay their suppliers, all those sorts of things. And yet they're businesses that are, that are actually viable. And we have suggested to the government that businesses, you know, should be supported to have a viability assessment to make them eligible for this. None of us want businesses that really should close to stay open. I was going to say that. I mean, this is really an opportunity to, to separate out the wheat from the chaff when it comes to small businesses. It really shouldn't be in business. They need to go out and get a J-O-B. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, this is the, yeah. the, the moment. Yeah, look, it is. And the longer you stay, you know, for businesses that are just struggling, the more debt you accumulate, the more chances you are that you're going to lose your house and, you know, that you're really going to lose everything. So, the, you know, it's always best as they always say, fail quickly. You know, if things aren't going right, get out as soon as you possibly can because then you're 
ready for the for the next opportunity. And that takes you back to what you were saying about the insolvency laws yeah. and understanding what that process is as well. Yep. Well, it's uh, it's good to know that um, Aspifio has got uh, options there and are still considering and still having conversations with the government on behalf of small business for the end of March. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and listen to some community service announcements. And when we return with Kate, I want to speak with her about the all-important pro- personal property securities register. It's almost as bad as Aspifio, isn't it? It is. <laughs> but you need need to know about it, you need to know how it works and why you need to engage with it. We're going to come back with Triple H after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. So today we've got Kate Carnell as Biffio, the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman in the studio talking all about what this federal body does to support small business. Just before the break, we were speaking about the cliff that we're going to fall over at the end of March when it comes to JobKeeper and also the importance of being aware of insolvency laws, which changed on the 1st of January. And there are some things in place that you need to know about as a small business, not when you're becoming insolvent or you can see yourself becoming insolvent, but by being prepared and understanding what the process is before that happens. And that's that's really what this show is all about, is just making sure that you're aware of what's out there for small business, what you can do to support yourself, to educate yourself so that when something happens that's negative or positive, you're ready and prepared for it. So, Kate, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Personal Property Securities Register. What is it and why does every single small business need to know about it? Well, it's got the world's worst name. Um, we've just done, a, a, again, a piece of work, an inquiry, um, looking at the changes that need to happen to it, and they're quite significant, but uh, like the name, because <laughs> it really should be um, a an asset... Assets. Register, yes, you know, so maybe assets and titles register. So that's what it is. So forget the personal property stuff, all small business owners out there. Because that makes me think of my car. It does. Yeah, it's not just about your car. It's not just about your car. So what it means is it's really important to register your assets and your assets include something that I ran my own businesses for a very long time and didn't know. So loans to your business that you make and let's be fair, probably over the last 12 months, lots of small business people have loaned money to their businesses to keep them afloat. You can register your own personal loan to your business. Also, other things that you buy, you know, if you're a contractor, your, 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 your truck, your, you know, your bulldozer. You Is know. there a minimum for the amount that you need to register something? I mean, do I put my laptop on there? Well, you, you probably wouldn't because it's not going to be enough to, to really make a huge difference but you know you could is the, is the reality now why you register is it means that it's clear that it's your possession 
and it and it secures that loan. So with a loan that you've made to your small business, once you've registered it, it brings it up the security list. So it becomes a secured loan rather than an unsecured loan. Oh. Now, if you go into um, insolvency, shall we say, we're not talking too much about that today, but you know, it happens. So um, your loan to your business ends up right at the bottom of the pile, you know, totally unsecured. As something that can be repaid or must that be. Repaid mm. as part of the process. Mm. Whereas if you've secured it, it's further up the up the tree, shall we say. Um, if you um, have things like, you know, trucks, bulldozers and so on, a great example, um, a contractor working on a building site, his, his um, truck is on the site... The, the, the company that's, that's, that he's working, that he's subbing for, goes into liquidation. They put up boundaries around the site Ooh. and his truck's in, in there. there and he can't get it out because it's not secured. I see. And this is different from, um, you know, being part of a loan process with a bank. It's completely yeah. different. That's why it's, people need to know. It's, it's so what you need to do, the PPSR, world's worst name, should change. The system should be much simpler than it is and we've recommended all that. But put that aside, we're working on that. Um, it is really important that you register your assets um, and your loans to your, to your business just in case either someone that you're dealing with goes into liquidation or you um, end up, you know, unfortunately in that space and you want your loans to your business secured. Um, it's even works, I'll give you really quickly, steel company produced a, a, a lot of steel, steel went to, um, to another company, that company went into liquidation, they haven't paid for the steel that they got from you but it's on their site. How do you make sure that it's clear that you own that steel? Right. Registered on the PPSR. Excellent. We might actually get someone from the PPSR to come out and explain the process. I think yeah. that would be really valuable. It would be. And it, it sounds to me as though, again, another thing that small businesses, it may not be applicable to you immediately, but definitely something to be aware of as you grow, um, not necessarily in terms of capital equipment, but even that loan to your business. That's really important. It is. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that it fluctuates because at the moment everybody's putting so much money into their business and probably removing it as well. well. Yeah. Look, you know, put it in there. Secure a loan. Um, you know, if it goes up a bit, you know, you've secured some of it. And, you know, I'm just horrified that I didn't know you could do that. I don't think there's a lot of businesses out there that are aware of it, definitely. Um, and it's good that the Aspifio is working to simplify the process as oh, well. It needs it. <laughs> Desperately. Maybe, maybe there's some, some people out there can just be PPSR experts that go out <laughs> into businesses and just say, I'll do this for you. Mm, <laughs> well, that would be great bookkeepers and accountants, yes. you know, which is good. Indeed. Anyway. So let's talk about job maker. This is different from job keeper, uh, and this is all about the it's encouraging small businesses to employ those who have been um, either on uh, unemployed or on um, benefits um, of some yeah, kind, like you know, parent and of a certain you know, age, parent benefits or whatever. Yeah. So what it is is that there is a a benefit. Well, there is a payment to an employer who employs extra staff. Now, it's got to be extra headcount and extra wage bill to start with. So you can't play, mm -hmm. you know, in the space. You've got to employ new people and your wage bill's got to go up to for this to be... But it, they don't have to be full-time. And having said don't play, absolutely, this is one place you've got to understand play. the government and AATO is 
Right what? across it, thanks to SDP, thanks to superannuation. Yeah. Don't play. Don't play. You'll get caught, yeah. is the reality. So you can employ new people aged 16 to 35. 16 to 29, you get $200 um, a week um, subsidy for employing an extra person who's doing, I think, more than 20 hours a week is the reality. Um, the um, And then from 30 to 35, it's $100 a week. So for an under 30, that could be $10,500 a year. However, so they need to have been on benefits They prior. need to have been on, on benefits prior to this, but you only needed to have been on benefits for 28 days in the past 84 days. Now, I know that sounds funny, but it's about fortnightly periods. So you, you, you need it to be um, on benefits for two fortnights in the last six fortnights. So, um, so you, can, you can go onto the website and have a look at that. So it is people who have been un on unemployment benefits, parent benefits or youth allowance apart from full-time students, I think is the rules. Um, so that's um, pretty important. What you have to do is you have to register for the JobMaker Hiring Credit Scheme. You have to be a business, so you have to have an ABN. You don't have to be an incorporated business, you just have to have an ABN. You need to register and be using single touch payroll and you need to be up to date with your BAS and your tax. Which you should all be anyway. Which we all should be anyway. I, I wanna ask you about this because I think this has fallen on its face a little bit because a, it sounds to me as though the employing of people has been skewed towards those. If you're going to be expanding, you're going to be asking people, have you been on benefits? Mm. And that, to me, sounds discriminatory in, in the you're way... You're also asking how old they are. <laughs> yeah, which you're not supposed to do as well. Um, and also what I think is interesting about this is there are a lot of cottage industries for whom the people who are generally contractors in the nature of their work and are sole traders themselves, here's an opportunity where you could hire people because if you've suddenly got this contract that's come in and you're hiring mm. people. But those people that you hire were never on benefits in the first place because it's not part of the culture of the industry. And an example of that is a, a film and television uh, company, for example. They've suddenly got landed a, a big contract to produce a series on TV. They're going to hire... They, they currently have one employee, which is the director. They're going to hire three people for this. And two of those people are already too old, which is one of the problems with that. And that's the third person who is falls within the age group is not gaining any benefits beforehand because it's not part of that industry. They just go from job to job, contractor to contract. They never think to apply for, for employment benefits. And that business who has legitimately increased their payroll turnover fourfold um, is now not going to get any benefit from it. Uh, look, there's some, there, there are some hairs on this, but on the, I mean, the other big hair is for somebody who doesn't employ anybody they can't, the, the, the first employee doesn't count. So you have to have one employee. So you have to increase from one to two, zero to one doesn't count. Right. So, um, so there's some, some issues. That said, there's a chunk of people who did shed employees um, as part of um, COVID, many of them casual employees who might be employing again. And for them, they'll be in this. As but, the long as but the government can't frame this as an economy, a small business economy, holistic band-aid, because it's not. It's actually quite small. It's the people who were re-employing those they got rid of. And essentially, isn't small business just 
basically paying for the benefits that these unemployed people would have been on anyway because they've re-employed them? I mean, this sounds to me like the small business is just picking up the Well, hopefully what it means is that it'll give that little bit of encouragement to small businesses to employ. And it, this, it, this only goes for 12 months. So for, it started on the 7th of October last year, goes to the 6th of October this year. Um, you get paid three months retrospectively. So right now, you, if you've employed anybody from the 7th of October last year, you know, inside the parameters we've just talked about, you can apply, you know, so that the first quarter is just, you know, the 1st of um, February was the you know, end of the first quarter. So you can apply for the $200 and $100 a week for new employees from the 7th of October right now. Is it working? Are we seeing an uptick, uptick on, on employment as a result of JobMaker? Um, my understanding is that there is, but we haven't seen any figures yet. And that's not surprising. At 1st of February was the first time you could claim. Right. So we'll it's only a couple of, couple of weeks ago. But for people who are in, we talked at the beginning, there's 30% of businesses that are trading better than they were pre-COVID. For those businesses, it's a positive. And for those businesses that shed staff and are now getting back on track, it's an encouragement to, uh, to, to employ. It doesn't pay for employment. You know, $200 a week or $100 a week doesn't pay what it costs. But it's a, you know, it's a sweetener. It's a help with cash flow. So it's not to be, um, not to be sneezed at. I don't think. Um, I don't think it's an absolute game changer by any stretch. But for those businesses who are employing, have a look at it, um, because it could be just some nice cream for um, for your cash flow. There's one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is the future of advocacy for small business yeah. here in Australia. I mean, you've been so heavily involved and are working so hard on behalf of small business and really raised the profile of advocacy and the way that government or, or bodies like yourself actually influence policy and, and have helped to educate the small business yeah. landscape about that. What does the future look like? Well, um, my contract finishes on the 10th of March, which is really tragic. I mean, it's, it's absolutely all right. <laughs> tragic. Because oh, I love this job. Uh, <laughs> but for all of that, it's a five-year contract and, and that that um, is what it is. Um, I think uh, entities like my office and, for that matter, the work that you guys do here and the chambers do generally is pretty fundamental. The thing that my office does that's a bit unique is we can do inquiries into things and we've got power to do it. So we can do the insolvency inquiry, payment times inquiry, bank um, contracts, staff, insurance recently, all the things that are driving small business crazy. And we've got the power to deep dive, come up with recommendations and then throw them in the government's face. Doesn't mean they always pay attention, but the insolvency changes in laws shows that they, they you know, do to an extent, changes in payment times have been a real positive. New South Wales government's done a great job in that space, as has the federal government. Um, so they're paying quicker, and that's fantastic. Yeah, they, we, know, we have seen some interesting information come out of the Zero Insights program that shows that the, the number of days to pay invoices is dropping. Mm. It, it's very slowly dropping. It's very slowly. <laughs> it's um, almost day by day, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's improving. Uh, look, it is, particularly from government. Um, we've seen a mix in the private sector as a result of COVID. And anyway, by the by, we could talk about that for another 
a long period of time. But back to advocacy generally, I think the really important um, role that we do, but more broadly we've got to do, is we've got to tell government what we want from a small business perspective. Whinging about it, yeah, you know, is, is not the, sm the, fast, the smart way to go, but saying, OK, JobKeeper finishes, so what do we want? Mm. More money, yep, but how does it work? You know, how do you how can you come up with something that that is tangible enough? And they for want governments? strategy. They they want they talk in terms of strategy. So when you're speaking to them or maybe advocating for a group in your local area or being a small business leader, strategize. What mm. do they want to hear from? They yeah. don't want to just go give me money. It's not going to work that way. Yeah. You need to say if you this happens, then I predict that this will occur as a result or this is the benefits of, of in investing this is, in this way. And this is why it'll work from a government perspective. I mean, that they've got limited amounts of money and so on. But last time I was um, on this show, we were talking about um, um, working from home and how areas, say, like the Hornsby area, could set up um, areas where people who are working from home could come together and... Uh, you know, and have access to equipment and, you know, teleconferencing or whatever, if we find more people don't go back to work in CBDs or other places. I think there's, you know, you're thinking outside the square is always a smart thing to do mm. and governments can embrace that sort of thing. And you have to bring with it some data. You so do. it's very important if your local chamber or your local council or anybody or professional association, if they are conducting a survey, yes, it's painful, it takes a few minutes of your time, but please engage with those because it is that sort of information that is real numbers that the government listens to and that they will base policy on. This is absolutely true. Again, you know, small business that we all have a nasty habit of um, just telling government what we don't like. And I think the or whinging on Facebook. Or whinging on Facebook or just saying they're hopeless and they should do something about it. Well, you know, um, the reality is... Uh, that um, it's not, you know, they should, but we have to tell them, mm. you know, what it is that will work for us and where we can work with them to achieve better outcomes for small business. And we've got power in numbers. And what we need to remember as well is that we are the largest employer in this country as a whole, and we do have power in that, and we need to start working that. But be part of the conversation, everyone. Engage with your local council, engage with your local chamber, find out what's happening in terms of advocacy. It might not be the normal routes, it might be someone else doing something interesting, but, you know, see what that person's doing, ask them how can I help um, and just be involved in, in, the, in the change. Absolutely. And you know, the thing that's, you know, the good things of COVID is that Australians now want to use local Australian businesses. The, I'm on the, the Australian Made Campaign Board, and it's the kangaroo in the triangle. 600% um, increase in people who are wanting to support local Australian businesses. This is huge. Mm. You know, once upon a time, I oh, will only support them if they're cheaper mm. or cheap. Now we actually get what we need, local Australian small, medium-sized businesses. So we're in a, that's a big step in the right direction. So we've got to embrace that, um, that um, you know, change in attitude of Australians and make them really realise the great work that we as small business can do. And that means we've got to get our social media right, we've got to get our marketing, our communications, our digitisation, you know, all those things um, we've got to embrace. If we do, we've got a great future. 
Fantastic. Look, thank you so much for coming on, on the show today on Small Biz Matters. Of course, if you've missed any of today's program, you can catch up via our website, smallbizmatters.com.au, and wherever you ingest small business education podcasts, there are over 190 podcasts just like this one to listen to, find out how to educate yourself, uh, be better prepared for when bad things happen, be better prepared when good things happen, and, um, and really enjoy this small business ride. Kate, thank you once again for coming on the program. Absolute pleasure. This week's episode was proudly broadcast from Triple H Studios in Sydney, Australia and sponsored by the Office of the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. If you've enjoyed listening, go ahead and give us some thank you stars on your podcasting platform. It would be much appreciated. Then head to the Small Biz Matters website where you can listen to over 170 episodes, read more about our speakers and find out how to become a media partner. See you all next time.